New Mexico has one of the fastest rising homeless states in, in America. The, the homelessness out there is just through the roof. And so part of it is they have the climate that will sustain the homeless. But two, a lot of it is a lot of the Navajo, they come off of the reservation. There's 275,000 people that live on Navajo Nation. It's through four states, you know, Utah, New Mexico, Arizona, and uh, a little tiny portion of Colorado. The biggest portion is in Arizona and New Mexico. And so they come off of there into these border towns. Gallup, New Mexico is a border town. They come off of there and they can get alcohol there. And that's where they get the alcohol and the drugs. Because the reservation itself is a dry, is a dry reservation. There's no alcohol that's allowed to be sold up there on the reservation at all. And so you have this border town of Gallup, New Mexico, which only probably has 35 or 40,000 people that live there. But at any one given time, there's 100,000 people that are there because they all come in off the reservation and they just stay. And uh, there's no limit to what they can do down there on the streets. They can drink down on the streets. They can, uh, now that they've got uh, legalized marijuana, they can just smoke that. And, uh, you know, it's just, uh, it's not medicinal, you know. People want to say that that medical, it's medical marijuana. Well, no, it's not medical. It's pot. You smoke it to make yourself dizzy or whatever you, you do with it. It's dope. Same with the alcohol. And so we see what alcohol does to, to families out there and how it destroys, uh, the, how it just des destroys families. And uh, you know what I found out? I found out that uh, no matter where I go, I can find somebody that's had their lives touched by alcohol in a negative way. You know, I've never found somebody that ever said to me, you know, when I was a little kid, all I ever wanted to do was be a drunk, live underneath a, underneath a bridge. I've never met anybody like that. We've never met one person out on the street that says, boy, I love my life out here doped up and on these drugs. And it's, you say, what is that? It's the condition of what, of what this world is. And, you know, they're not all lost. Some of them are saved folks. But it is the condition of this world. Here in Nehemiah chapter 1, you've, you've got about a thousand years after uh, the book of Numbers. And so if you remember the book of Numbers, this is when they went right up to the promised land and they, spent, uh, they sent the 12 spies in. And the 12 spies went in there and they came back and they said, man, it is everything God said. This place is flowing with milk and honey. This is... and, then, and then the very next words out of their mouth was, nevertheless... The people are a mighty people. Their cities have great walls and there's giants. And so they talked themselves right out of what God had given them. And then that's when Caleb jumped up on a, uh, I picture him jumping up on a rock. And he just said, hey, God said we can possess it. Let's go in and possess it. And, and, and they didn't. And they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. But here you are about a thousand years away removed from that. Now you're. You're here in Nehemiah, and the, the Babylonians have, uh, have enslaved the Jews. They've torn down all of their walls. They've torn down Jerusalem. The city's in ruins. And it's a lot like what it looks like uh, out here for us today. A lot of folks say, well, America isn't the America that I grew up in. Well, no, it's not. It's nothing like it. You say, what is that? Is it, is it because of the Chinese? No. Is it because of liberals? No. It's because of sin. And not just sin of of lost folks 
sin of, of Christians, sin of people who have turned away from the Bible. And I'm not just talking about the King James Bible. I'm talking about turned away from the teaching of the Bible and gotten away from those things. And it's sin. And so when you look out there and you see someone that's got all those piercings and they, they look like they lost a fight with a staple gun and they got tattoos and, and they're just a, a, a torn, tattered mess. And you look at that and you go, what is that? That's sin. And it has torn this country apart because they've torn away, turned away from God. Amen? Amen. I'm talking, and I'm, I'm preaching at Christians. I'm talking to Christians this morning. Amen? Because there's not a whole lot of uh, Satan-worshipping liberals and uh, Catholics and other things sitting here this morning. What we've got is we've got Bible-believing Christians. Amen? Amen. Y'all believe the Bible? And so, you know, here's Nehemiah. Nehemiah uh, is up here and he's working in the palace. He's working for the Babylonians and he's a Jew and he's working for the Babylonians as a cupbearer. And you say, what is that? That's the person who makes sure that uh, the, what the king is getting is clean, that he's not getting some poison or whatever. And he, it's a very trusted job. And it's amazing that the king has taken a man that he, that, uh, of a race that he's enslaved and has made him his cupbearer. You would think that'd be the first person that would want to. But you know what he's doing is, is he knows about Nehemiah. He knows that he's dedicated and faithful to him. You know what we need today? Dedicated and faithful people. Amen. Let's read here just a little bit and, and, and we'll go on. It says here in chapter 1. Of the book of Nehemiah, it says the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekeliah, and it came to pass in the month of Chislu in the 20th year, as I was in uh, Shushan, the palace, and uh, the month of Chislu, uh, that's around November or December, and it says uh, that uh, Hananiah, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah. And I like this next part of this verse here in chapter 2. He says, And I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, uh, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. So right away he wanted to know about his brethren. He wanted to know about the city. He wanted to know about all those things. And, he, and, and they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the providence are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And in verse 4, And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before God. You know what that is? That's compassion. Amen. You know what we've lost as Christians? Compassion. We've lost compassion on a, on a lost world. We've lost compassion for a world that is sick with sin. You remember over there the story there in Numbers when Miriam and uh, uh, Aaron uh, begin to start accusing Moses of being the only one uh, that uh, God speaks through. And God has to come down and he has to straighten all that out and say, uh, no, Miriam and Aaron, uh, Moses isn't the only one that I've speak through. In fact, I've spoken through you and I've spoken through Aaron. But Miriam, 
Moses is the only one that I've come down and spoke to face to face. And then what happens is he turns Miriam white with leprosy. And leprosy in the Bible is a type of sin. You know what America is today? It's white with leprosy. You know what Aaron and Moses did immediately? They had compassion on her. Moses could have threw up his hands and said, she's been running her mouth. Now she's going to suffer. You know, that's the attitude that Christians take a lot of times with this lost world out there. Well, if they're going to do that, let them suffer. Amen? You know, folks, you've heard them talk. That's what it is. You know what a lot of that is sometimes? Folks who have forgotten what it was like to be lost without Jesus Christ. You know what I hardly ever forget? What I was like before I, before I got saved. Amen. Before he saved me. Boy, I'd hate to go back and take a look at me now. I'd be hard on me. You'd be hard on you. Amen? You know, I've heard folks say, if we could just get Biden out of the White House, and I always say, then what? Then what? You're going to have a whole nation fall to their knees and ask forgiveness from God for the sin that they've reaped upon him? I mean, even if you got rid of homosexuality, let's just say tomorrow we got rid of it. That's not the problem in America. Perversion is not the problem in America. It's idolatry. The idols that we set up in America. Christians set up idols in America. How many chairs have you got here in church? And how many sit empty this morning? And how much of that is because of idolatry? Who's at home or who's out worshiping a bass boat? Amen? I just, I'm picking on bass boats because you've got a lake or you've got a, a river right there. <laughs> if we'd have been in the deep woods, I'd have picked on deer stands. If we'd have been in New Mexico, I'd have picked on the mountains. And the, amen? Or, and ba- baseball. And you know what? Out west, it's, they do, it's the soccer and everything else. And then they wonder what happens to their children when they turn 18. Well, you've showed them what's important in the world. They've never been able to to take the time. You know what Nehemiah was concerned about? He was concerned about the walls of Jerusalem. You say, why? Because the walls are what guarded that city. And when he heard that those walls were torn down... He knew that anything was flowing through those walls. You know, you've got walls of your heart that you have to guard. You have to walk the perimeter of your heart almost every day to see where the holes and the cracks are. Because if anything from this world is going to seep in through and affect your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, they're going to get through the cracks of that that heart. You know what else you've got to walk the perimeter of every day? The walls of your home, not just the walls of your heart, but the walls of your home. And you got to see what's seeping into your home. Amen. And then finally, not just the walls of your heart and the walls of your home, but the walls of your habits. 
I, I get wore out with folks just saying, well, that's just the way I am. Well, bless God, you ought to change it. Well, I'm just cantankerous like that. Huh? Y'all, you better, you need to get, you need to get a kinder heart. Amen? Heard a man one time complaining about them old bums down there on the street. He said, they're standing down there on the street, and he said, they're, they're trying to collect money, and they're just they're filthy, nasty bums. And I said, you go down there and preach Jesus to them. Go down there and take you, take you a towel, throw it over your shoulder, get you a basin of water, go down there and say, you... You pull off them nasty boots and I'll wash your feet up for you and give you some clean socks. Amen. Now, didn't he do that? Didn't he wash the disciples' feet and one of them was a devil? Now that's your example, right? Sometimes I think with Christians, our example uh, we try to follow after is Peter with the sword. And I'm going to close my eyes and I'm going to swing that thing for all I've got. I, I always tell Ms. Shokum sometimes we'll go into churches and depending on where we're at and what part of the country, a lot of folks, uh, it used to be concealed carry, but now everybody just open, open carries. Now, New Mexico, it's like the Wild West. Everybody just... I mean, they, they got, they just carry. There's, I mean, there's no, op- I mean, it's just carry. I always tell Miss Yoakum, I always say, if anything ever goes down on the, in the church, just hit the ground because the crossfire is going to be crazy. It's not so much the person coming in to do us harm that's going to get us. It's the crossfire. You know, it's the same way in any church without the gun. It's the crossfire of the talk that kills us half the time. Amen? That's what Nehemiah was concerned about. Because he knew not only were the walls of Jerusalem torn down, but he knew what they were battling from the outside, the outside forces that were coming in. But he knew on the inside of the city they were tearing each other apart in there. And it says that he broke down and he wept over that. Wept over the condition of his people. Wept over the condition of the city. Amen? We have a lot to weep about these days. Now don't get me wrong, we have a lot to be thankful for. But man, we sure have some weeping to do. It says in verse 5, he says, and I said, I beseech thee, O Lord. He goes right to God in prayer. He says, I beseech thee, O God in heaven, and great terrible God, uh, that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open that thou may hearest the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now day and night. For the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which, look what he says there, which we have sinned. You see that? He says, I pray before thee now. This I'm in verse 6. I pray before thee now 
day and night for the children of Israel by servants and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee. Both who? I and my father's house have what? Sinned. You see what Nehemiah just did? He just took responsibility. It's not, Lord, help that old sinful, wicked world out there. They sure need your help. He said, Lord, I'm as much of a problem as they are out there. You know, the, it's easy for, for Christians, especially Bible-believing Christians that are in their Bible, it's easy for us to get kind of high up to where we are, well, we're fine. But it's this world that's a mess. But you know what? When we start to really look at ourselves, you know what we find out? And we're just as messed up as they are. You know what we're, we're better at? We're better at hiding it. Amen. I'm, I'll amen myself. Amen? Amen. And you say, what is that? That's hard truth. We were in that hotel last night and uh, we went to bed. We went to bed early. I think we, was, we were in bed by 10, 1030. Uh, we've been traveling a lot. And so uh, we were asleep and I thought, man, I'm going to, I'm going to get sleep. I'm going to get some sleep. We're going to get some sleep. And so I woke up, you know, for whatever reason, you know, about one o'clock and I thought it's got to be like 5 a.m. and it was one o'clock and I thought, oh, great. I got so much time now to sleep. And I went back to sleep, and at 3.45 a.m., I thought for sure that the rapture had happened because that room was flashing and the smoke detector in, in the whole building was going off. And that was the loudest smoke detector I had ever heard in my life. And I thought, this is crazy. But you know what? That smoke detector, it affected everybody in the building. Not just me. But you know what I did? I made it about myself. <laughs> Didn't I, Miss Yoakum? Miss Yoakum's not even getting in on it. I made it about me. The first thing I said this morning is I said, see how the devil got in there and messed up my good sleep? Knowing... Knowing I was going down there to preach today, devil got in that thing. Amen? Made it about me. And for a split second, I thought, I bet it was some drunk pulled that thing. Right? Because it's got to be. The devil's in on it. It's got to be some drunk. That's how we think. You know what? Nehemiah didn't think that way. Nehemiah fell down on his knees and he said, oh, Lord, I'm part of the problem. You know, sometimes we just need to deal with ourselves. I upset, I upset some people this. Were we in Michigan? I think we were. I upset some people in Michigan over the week when I told them to turn off their TV and stop focusing on politics. Start focusing on the Lord. And the guy said, it just makes me so angry. And I said, there you go. 
You just answered your own question. It's disturbing your fellowship with the Lord. Turn it off. You would with anything else, wouldn't you? Some of you, maybe in your lifetime, put the bottle down or put cigarettes down or put filthy language down. Well, if this stuff makes you so angry and this makes you so infuriated and it takes away the, the ability for you to be compassionate to a lost world, put this other stuff down too. That's what Nehemiah did. Hey, I'll tell you, we, we talk about it all the time, starting this, uh, this street mission out here. What we want to do is we're going to have a building. Uh, we're going to bring them in about 4 o'clock. Uh, we're going to preach to them. We're going to feed them dinner. And we're going to try to get them the things that we need. That's how we're going to start this thing out. We don't know how many days a week we're going to do it. We'd like to do it six days a week. But I think in the beginning we're only going to be able to do it maybe three uh, but I know the kind of people we're going to be dealing with. You know, there's no way I'm going to be able to stop uh, everything that I'm doing and start judging these people on why they're here in the street, why they're an alcoholic, why they're a drug addict, because none of that really matters. The fact is, is here they are. And you know what they need? They need Jesus Christ. They need to be saved. I had a very close person, very close to me not long ago, say to me, and he was being very honest. He says, I really don't understand what you're doing. He said, because you're not going to be able to help those folks. He said, many of them will never leave that life. I said, you're probably right. But it's not about me. It's about God. You know what they need to see? Jesus Christ in me. You know what this lost world needs to see? Jesus Christ in you. Now, don't raise your hands, but but just think, when was the last time someone really saw Christ in you? I'm not talking about a family member, or I'm not talking about, I'm talking about a lost person out there in the world. They really saw Jesus Christ in you. Where they walked away from that and said, there's something different about them. Amen? You know, we ought to strive for You know, that's what Nehemiah was after. And as, as you go on, you hit chapter 2 when he goes to the king and the king notices right away. The king says, man, there's something wrong with you today. Your countenance is bad. And you know, back then in those days, you lost your head. If you showed up in front of the king and you weren't happy or you weren't, the king... Whoosh, have your head cut off. And so that was a dangerous thing. Let me flip over there and just show you. I'm kind of skipping around, but I don't have a whole lot of time with this. And so we come down through there, uh, and, and, and uh, you know, Nehemiah uh, chapter 1, look at verse 9. Uh, but if ye uh, turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, though there were uh, of you cast out unto the uttermost part of the heaven, yet will I gather them from thence, and I will bring them unto the place 
uh, that I've chosen to set my name there. Now this is, uh, uh, you've got verse 8. Remember, I'm sorry, I'm backing up. Remember, I beseech thee uh, the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, if ye transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. So you've got Nehemiah, he's talking to God here in, in his prayer, and he ends that up with a commitment in verse 11. He says, O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of the servants uh, who desire to fear thy name and prosper. I pray thee, thy servant this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. You know what he says now? I'm now God's servant. Now, he didn't quit his job. He didn't leave the palace. He's still the king's cupbearer. But in his heart, there's been a change. Amen. You see that? There was a compassion there. And after that compassion came a commitment in his heart. And after that commitment came a change. Many Christians, many Christians go to church. And they're committed to that schedule. And they never miss. You know what they're good at? They're good at checking a box. Did you go to Sunday school? Yep. Did you go to church? Yep. Did you go to Sunday night? Yep. Did you go to Wednesday night? Yep. Did you read your Bible? Yep. Did you pray? Yep. But they're not committed in their heart. When you get saved, there's a change that takes place. You understand the old man and the new man. You've got a pastor that teaches you those things. I know he does. So you understand the old man and the new man that war against each other. But there's another change that takes place from a Christian when they go and they commit to God to be his servant. There's an absolute change that takes place. As as big and as important as what our mission in New Mexico is to us, this is your mission field. The same as what we do right here in this own town, right with your own family. Now, I, I don't know most of you folks, but I, I know most folks, and I know that some of our mission fields are our own family members that for us, it's, they're hard to talk to. And what makes them so hard to talk to is because they remember us from back in the day and won't let those things go. And so sometimes you have to be able to go to them and say, well, I, I was those things. And some of those things I still am. But my heart's changed. Well, I remember when you did this to me. I know and I'm sorry. I told a man not too long ago. I said, you know what you need to do? I said, you need to go down there and see this other man. And I said, you need to apologize to him and fall down on your knees and say, ask him to forgive you and just say, I'm having some trouble in my ministry. Will you help me out in my ministry? He said, I'll not do it. I said, why not? The man can help you with that. And he said, because of what he did. I said, who cares? 
I'm sorry for what I, not I'm sorry for what you think I did. I'm sorry for what I did to you. I'm sorry that I've hurt you. I wish I hadn't. Would you please forgive me? But I've changed. My heart's different. Lord's gotten a hold of me. I've been trying to read my Bible. Folks will say, well, you think you're holier. No, I don't. And that's why I'm here asking you to forgive me. You know, that's when you ask someone to forgive you. That's what it shows them is that you don't think you're holier than they are. You simply are saying, I'm not. And when they say back, well, don't expect me to apologize, say, I don't. I just want you to know that I'm sorry and I have concern for you. And I got to get it right. That's hard because 98% of all Christians will not get that. Nehemiah said, I was a cupbearer, but that burden in my heart for those people in Jerusalem has changed me. And we're going to see as we flip the page and go into chapter 2, we're going to see he still has a lot of reverence for the, for the king. Go ahead and turn over there to chapter 2 while I get back up here and, and look at this. He knows what he's got to have. He knows he's got to have that king to help him go on and move on. Uh, chapter 2, he says this, uh, And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, uh, in the 20th year of Artaxes the king, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. Now I had not been before time sad in his presence. And we talked about that. The reason is, is if you'd have been sad in front of those those uh, folks, they'd have killed you. They did not want to see anything like that. Amen? And it says here, it says, uh, Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? So you're not sick, so why are you sad? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. The king knew what was going on. And said unto the king, uh, then I was very sore afraid and said unto the king, let the king live forever. He says this, why should not my countenance be sad? Nehemiah didn't approach that broken down wall with a self-righteous attitude. He says to the king, he said, king, you're right. I'm sad, but it's, it's nothing. It's not working here. It's certainly not being in the palace. I, I, haven't, I haven't picked that sadness up from that king. It's cert- now, that you've got to remember who the king is. The king is Biden for him. They have those people captive. In fact, he's beyond Biden. He says, you know, king, it's not you. King, you've been good to us. You, you took care of us and you, you've helped us out. I mean, king, it's not... It's for the condition of my people. Not just the walls of the city. Not just the city. But their spiritual condition. Their fellowship with God's broken down. That's what it is. And if you go on and read here. I think that something. A supernatural thing kind of takes place here. With this king. Look at verse 3. 
verse 3 of chapter 2, verse 4. Then the king said unto me, For what dost thou make requests? So I prayed to God in heaven. You see that? King said, Well, what do you need? I got the power to give you anything that you want. And Nehemiah says, Let me pray about it. Let me get the real authority in on this to find out what I should do. He said, Then said the king unto me, What is thou request? Uh, for what dost thou make request? So I prayed to God in heaven, and I said unto the king, If it please the king, and if the servant have found favor in thy sight, that thou would have sent me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchres, that I may build it. And the king said unto me, The queen also sitting by him, uh, so he had, uh, he had a witness there, For how long shall the journey be, and when will thou return? He said, When are you going to come back to work? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. I like that. Nehemiah had a plan. You know what we need this morning? We need a plan. We've got to get God in on it. It's got to start with a commitment. And for sake of time, I don't have time to read it all, but it started out with a concern. You got a concern for lost souls? If you don't have one, you need to get one. You need to pray for a concern if you don't have one. Then the second thing that it comes to is a commitment. You need to commit in your heart. If you don't have it committed in your heart, you need to commit in your heart. Now know this, along with a concern and along with a commitment is going to come combat. That's Sam Ballot and Tobiah. That's on down the road. We just, in 10 minutes, there's no way to, get, to have time to get to that. But it's the combat, and that comes, comes next. You say, what is that? That's the world, the flesh, and the devil. Because the moment you commit, the flesh is going to go, uh-uh. Uh-uh, I'm not doing this. And the flesh is going to start looking at the world, and the world's going to, and the devil's going to get in there, and, The next thing you know, your commitment is going to be. I think we live in one of the greatest times in the history of man. Now, for a lot of folks, they think we live in a horrible time. I was watching a documentary not too long ago about Nazi Germany and the way that the the Jews were treated. To me, that seems like a lot worse than anything that we face today. Sinks how that they were bust in on trains, separated into, into two groups, those that could work themselves to death and then those that would be put to death right away. It seems like today that we live in a, a pretty comfortable society. And it seems sometimes to me that the things that we focus on are real superficial things. God has blessed us and blessed us and blessed us. And even though that blessing is coming off and you see America sliding down and becoming a godless society, and it is, I make no mistake about that, individually, God is still blessing families. Amen. Now you may be paying $6 a gallon for gas, 
but you're not being carted in on a train to be executed. I had a man saved one time after I said that. A man said, well, not yet. I said, well, then worry about that when that gets here. <laughs> Amen. What we need right now is we need some Nehemiah commitment. You say, where does that start? That starts in the heart. Will the heart change? I'll challenge you to do this. We, we've just got a few minutes and I'm, I'm going to end, uh, end this thing. I'll challenge you this for this week. Let the Lord pray about it. And let the Lord put one person on your heart that you're going to commit this week to reach out to that person and let them see Jesus in you. And here's the hard thing. Go with the person that the Lord puts on your heart. Because for most of us, the moment that person gets put on our heart, we're going to go, oh, I can't, I, I can't, I can't go see them. <laughs> Last time I did, boy, it was a World War III. I can't do it. I can't pick up the phone and call that person. Our relationship's toxic. But I'm telling you, if you say, Lord, put somebody on my heart, and they do, and he does, that's not the devil. The devil's not trying to get you to witness Jesus Christ to people. He'll be the one. Notice the difference. You read over there in Nehemiah chapter 3 and 4 and you go on 5 and 6 and 7 all the way to chapter 8 where they're coming through there and they're rebuilding that wall and they battle Samballot and Tobiah the whole time. And you know what Samballot and Tobiah hated? They hated that the walls were being rebuilt because they were able to run in and out of that of Jerusalem and push their filth in there in and out and keep those Jews stirred up. And we have churches all over America today full of Sambalots and Tobiah that don't want God's people committing to trying to win lost folks to Jesus Christ. They just want to keep everything stirred up. I've never, I, in the past two weeks, I, I haven't read not one thing in the news that brought glory to God. It was the other way around. And it did something to my heart that kept me from giving God the glory because it took my eyes off of him and focused on the temporal things of this world. Not long ago, I was asked, what are you going to do if gas goes to $10 a gallon? I said, I'm going to pay it. During COVID, it was the same thing. What are you going to do if they ask you to wear a mask? I'm going to wear one. I've got a mission. I made a commitment. I had a concern. And I understand the combat. That's what we have to do. We do whatever we can to serve him. I'm just so thankful Jesus went to the cross. Okay, he said you bear crosses too. Are you with me? Amen?
In Isaiah, you don't have to turn there. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, the Bible says, The people that walk in darkness have seen a great light. That's the, that's the verse we use. Ms. Patty and I use, we use for our mission all the time. The people that walk in darkness have seen a great light. They're in the darkness of alcoholism. They're in the darkness of idolatry. They're in the darkness of uh, drugs. Darkness of family problems. And the great light that they see is, is the saving grace of Jesus Christ when you open up that Bible and, and he says, you know, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. And, and the Lord just qualifies who that is. Whoever. Drunkards, liars, thieves, murderers, adulterers, idolaters. Can they get saved? Absolutely. But you know what they, it helps the most? It's when they see Jesus Christ in you. And you're able to go, I once was. But now I'm not. And I ain't no better than you. I'm just saved. And my sins have been washed away. But this old flesh is capable of anything. Amen. Let's pray.